Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Road to the Garden podcast here uh, after a crazy Monday in the Big East, a crazy weekend in the Big East, a lot going on. We got three Big East teams advancing to the Sweet 16, huge news for the conference, but not the biggest news that we've gotten in the last 72 hours here, the biggest stories happening off the court, two coaches filling vacancies in the Big East. One vacancy opening up, Ed Cooley becoming the first coach to ever switch jobs from one Big East school to another in the 43-year history of the conference. Rick Pitino is also back in the conference. We're going to be talking about all of that in more on today's episode. We have Will Tondo with us. Hello, Will. What's going on, Matt? Always happy to be on and... It's a sad day, bad day for Providence fans. <laughs> that it is. Joe Howie is with us. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on. You can hear a lot of me tonight on this and the soon-to-be-renamed Flex. <laughs> yes, we'll be doing an episode of that for just the Providence side of things later on tonight. Jake Zimmer, hello. How are you doing? Hello. Um, I'm trying to figure out how God Sham God uh, gets to to Providence here because you know <laughs> there's some upside with a, a Mavericks current head coach. Um, but what a conference shaking day, boys! Conference shaking day. We'll talk all about it. I'm sure that really is the best way to describe it. And there's no way we could talk about Georgetown coaching or Rick Pitino without having Michael DeRosa on here. Hello, Michael. Look at this, this event staff. Man, you guys are all talking. Yeah, it's a blessing to be here. I'm blessed to be here. You guys might be faking it. <laughs> the DeRosa Rise begins today, baby. Woo! We got uh, we got four Providence guys and one uh, one Georgetown guy on the podcast. This could this could get chippy today. Could be it could be one of those days. Rivalries are back in the Big East, that's for sure, with a vengeance. Uh, before we get into this, word from our sponsor here. Uh, first, we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek. Download their app and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off your first purchase. And as always, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more info. I think we have a couple pieces over there right now on what the Ed Cooley move means. But I want to start with you, Michael, on this one, because you're the Georgetown guy of the five of us. I want to talk about what this move means for the Hoyas first. We're going to start with that angle. What were your thoughts when you saw this become official as we saw this go through the stages of finding out over the weekend and into the wee hours of Monday morning? Yeah, I mean, oh, man, it was so, yeah, going through the stages of like the whole process, like early on in the process, it was like Georgetown's going after Cooley, like 100 percent. He is their guy. He's the guy they want. And it makes sense why. Then you look down like a little bit and you're like, okay, what does it mean for the basketball side of things? Obviously, like that's first thought basketball. You know, it's the sport we watch. We like basketball. And you realize, like, this is a guy who has taken Providence to a really high level. And Providence, Rhode Island, isn't the easiest place to win. It isn't. He's done a very good job there. And he's built up this sort of community in that area where he basically runs the economy for that city, like, 20 days a year. I mean, it's it's truly special what he's built. And he's built a winning product, too. Like, coach, National Coach of the Year a year or so back. I Believe it or not, I think that's a good thing. 
Someone might call me crazy there. I think that's a good thing. So him, National Coach of the Year, and he's built. And then this year's team, completely new guys. I didn't have any expectations for them. I thought, frankly, they were overrated coming into the season. Uh, we can say there that I was wrong on that one. Uh, and he's, I mean, he's done a very good job. I think it means a lot to Georgetown that finally this university has committed to winning and they're straying away from the Thompson legacy and they're in a sense, and they're looking to move forward and to win, which is awesome and good for the conference as a whole too. And it's, it's interesting. You mentioned the Thompson legacy in there because it's away from the Thompson legacy, but almost circling back to the Thompson legacy in a way, because that's somebody that is Ed Cooley's idol. That's why he views Georgetown as this premier destination. Obviously, there's a lot of reasons why Georgetown would be a great destination for a head coach, but he has an emotional connection to it there because of what John Thompson had done. And I think that's what made the situation so interesting all around. It was not your average coaching search. That is for sure. You mentioned the economic impact to um, not a lot of fans showing up to Georgetown games these days. That should change immediately. Starting next season, I saw they send out the season ticket holders email within like 30 minutes, 20 minutes of formally announcing that Ed Cooley was the, the new head coach. So well done on the marketing team there. I want to bring it over to the Providence guys for the, the outside perspective here on what, what this means for Georgetown. Obviously, we all know Ed Cooley very well. We know his strengths and his weaknesses. And any of you, I'll open this up to what do you think this is going to do for the Hoyas over the next 12 months and over the next years to come. I'm going to say, I think it puts a target on their back. I think um, it's, you know, Michael said it's good for the big East. I don't disagree with that, but I think it's also a dirty move for the big East. I mean, poaching a coach and we'll get into the whole timeline and situation. There is definitely, I wouldn't do if I was a president or an AD of a, of a big East university, but I'm here on the podcast road to the garden instead of uh, managing the athletics of Providence or Georgetown. So I think it puts a target on their back, but obviously Ed Cooley's a figurehead that is going to attract some people. I mean, we already saw Jared Bynum uh, enter the transfer portal. I bet you the betting odds presented by DraftKings is uh, definitely towards him heading to Georgetown, but who knows? Um, and then one of their prospects dual uh, decommitted, you know, saying uh, because of the coaching changes. So you know, if if there's a guy that can recruit, it's Ed Cooley. And, you know, hopefully he can bring the legacy back for the Hoyas and uh, make it a powerhouse again. Yeah, you know, what's, what's intriguing here, uh, there's a lot of chatter now on on sort of the power rankings of these jobs in the Big East. And <clears throat> this is a little bit of an alarming reaction for Providence, who... I mean, you break it down. I think there are at least seven better jobs in the Big East than than the head coach of the Providence Friars, right? Um, you look at a place like Georgetown. Um, Matt, you alluded to, yeah, there's a 90 billion reasons why, uh, you know, somebody can recruit that area. And look at how much basketball talent you have in the DMV, Um I look at Bryant at a place in Rhode Island that, that got three stars, uh, relatively speaking, in America East, of course, from D.C. There are a dime a dozen players down there, and that area has just been begging for somebody like Cooley to come in there and recruit uh, the hotbed that is the DMV now. So, I mean, Ed Cooley's $1.9 million house sure is not going to get him a, 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 as nice a house in D.C. as it is in Rhode Island, but... 
Man, um, I, I think this instantly changes the Georgetown program forever. Uh, there's already rumors that he's bringing back Patrick Ewing, by the way. Um, so uh, that's an interesting piece to this. Um, yeah, I, I obviously there's not much to, to hate about this hire for Georgetown. Yeah, I think when you look at the next, let's call it 12 months for Ed Cooley, this is going to be a, a drastic change of scenery for him. I mean, obviously moving down to Georgetown, but I think in terms of playing the villain role in the conference now, I think you look at years past, you see Steve Wojciechowski at Marquette was kind of that coach that you know everyone kind of turned their back to. It was Dan Hurley for the interim, and you know I, I this is obviously coming from a Providence bias, but I've seen other fan bases, you know Seton Hall, Villanova, kind of chime in here that this is kind of a a little bit of a shady move here with Cooley going down to Georgetown in the midst of all this. Um, the timeline to me is super sketchy. Um, you know, stuff came out today about when he you know signed for his house going up on the market. The next day, you get the doors beat off by George uh, by Seton Hall, excuse me. So. I think this is going to be a really telling time for Ed Cooley. I don't know how he's going to fit in with the villain role. With that said, you know, he's a great recruiter and he's tapping into a wealth of resources down in the DMV. And Georgetown historically has been, uh, you know, one of the perennial powerhouses in college basketball. So it's going to be interesting to see how he accepts that, you know, going from small school in the Northeast to now one of the most historic names in in the game. So we'll see what happens. It's a lot of pressure on him. Um, when you when you leave, you stay in the conference. You get paid as much money as he does. He's trying to fill the the hole left by one of the icons of the program and step into the bigger shoes of John Thompson. Uh, there's just uh, there's a lot going on for him. He's going to have to live up to a lot here. I have no doubt he's going to do a good job at Georgetown. The recruiting and um, the recruiting battles now between Ed Cooley and Kevin Willard in the DMV area for talent are going to be crazy. I'm intrigued to see which members of Providence's staff end up going with Ed Cooley too, because he's got a couple good recruiters there, which will play into this and his ability to tap into some of those markets. But I, I can't see it. I think this raises your floor. He's great with the media. That's an area where Georgetown has struggled under Patrick Ewing. Um, the, the press conferences have been lacking. I'll put it that way. That is not going to be the case anymore um he gets you he makes georgetown relevant again immediately in a number of different ways whether or not he can reach that you know perennial uh, contender to win the big east perennial contender to go to the final four i think we'll have to see if that happens it can he has the resources you're paying the money with that expectation whether he gets there is another thing that's the thing too because it's like you know, this has been all the rage on Twitter today, too. It's, and we'll talk about Patino when we get there. But I'm comfortable with saying that, like, if I were a betting man, presented by DraftKings, of course, uh, for all your sports betting needs, <laughs> um, I can't say with confidence that either of them have a Final Four in their future. I really do obviously their odds are that they don't make a final four, right? Because you got to string together the wins. You got to, you have to be a hot team, but, but I can't see that happening for Ed Cooley at Georgetown. I surely couldn't see it at with for Ed Cooley at Providence. I think that's pretty much the sentiment on this uh, call as well, but I don't know that 
he's going to have enough juice to get there, right? It's you still are looking at a five, six, seven bid league. I don't know that Ed Cooley's going to lead Georgetown back to the final four. I don't know if that's the expectation at Georgetown now, though, with how, I mean, the program has been terrible for the last, like let's they, they one tournament bid and it's because of a lucky biggies tournament run. I don't know at this point, if you're a Georgetown fan, you were expecting expecting Ed Cooley to make a final four, at least early on. And there's been a lot coming out about him that he's not coaching past like 60. So he's got like seven, maybe a little longer because he's now taking a new job. Maybe that adds a couple years, but not much. I don't know if the, I feel like the expectation is more rebuild the program, rebuild the brand. Then we can get to winning. I feel like that's, that's the side they want first. And I'm going to, I'm just going to get into this now. I feel like I've seen a decent amount of people talk about like, why would Ed Cooley take this job? Why Georgetown? Why this over Michigan? Something like that. Look, I'm from the D.C. area. I grew up on a pretty wealthy side, on the, right next to the D.C. border on the Maryland side. I'm from a pretty wealthy area. I'm very lucky. I don't try to hide from it. And I've been following this program since, like, the day I was born. I was born in Georgetown. I didn't have a choice. Like, it's just who I was, and I wouldn't change anything. I'm a white guy. Believe it or not, you can look at me. I'm whiter than white, if anything, from a wealthy area. So I might not be the best person to say this, but the story of Georgetown and D.C., hasn't really been told outside of like the very niche, just Georgetown bubble itself. Being the head coach at Georgetown University, it means something. It's more than basketball. Coach Thompson way back when made Georgetown a brand that had some people thinking it was an HBCU. There are countless clips on like old television, old movies, whatever, of people just casually wearing Georgetown gear across the country. It was a national brand. It really meant something. But here's the thing. Georgetown's one of the whitest places on earth. It really is. It is like as white as it possibly can be. Maybe the area I'm from just outside of Georgetown is whiter, but like that's probably about it. But he was able to bring people together. Georgetown basketball brought a brand together of wealthy elites and people from the inner city. It brought those people together behind one common goal. Growing up back home, my wardrobe was, and more or less still is, just all Georgetown stuff. Like just this shirt like this. I have a ton of shirts over here. And even more that I left back home because I don't think I can wear them on Butler's campus. It was Georgetown, <laughs> and then the place I worked for, True to Form Hoops, local basketball training company I worked, played for, love it down there. I was never that good at basketball, but the DMV has some of the talent, best talent in the country, and I played against some of those guys. My little brother's playing at so much of a higher level now than I could have dreamed of, and even then, you have to go to some rough areas, and he's like the only white guy on his team. He's played against some kids who are top 10, and without like sports itself, he would never have met some of these people. He would be, It's just such a different world you live in being in sports in D.C. and bringing people together. You bring so many different people together and you learn so much more about their life and just everything and how they see the world. And it changes how the way you look at things, too. For me, the opportunities I was given just having like Georgetown shirts on, working with True to Form, all that sort of stuff. It gave me the opportunity to talk to different people about basketball and life itself. I learned so much and you can't follow the program without the legacy of Coach Thompson. It's not just basketball. There's a brand and there's a message. You can unite people in, and you're in the nation's capital. Shit happens in D.C. So many crazy things happen in D.C. So when people say, like, I understand your point, I feel like it's different if you really haven't lived it. You haven't had those conversations that you've had just in D.C. So many different people that I would never have even dreamed of meeting. You learn stories. You learn so much about them. And I think that's what brought Ed Cooley to the job. That's why Georgetown wanted him so bad. You can build a community. Look what he did in Providence in building that community. You do that in D.C., Triple, quadruple, it means so much more. It just means that much more. You bring people together and use sport as a vehicle to do exactly that. You're at the center of everything in D.C. The entire nation will be watching you now. You have all the eyes on you. If you can get back to what Georgetown stood for and what it means to even wear a dumb sweatshirt with just a G on it, 
I think it makes George, it could make Georgetown a special place once again. I think it really matters. And I think that's a, a very fair point to the, the cultural impact there. And it's why Jeff Goodman has been bringing up the name Ed Cooley for a long time. It's a natural fit. He's a cultural leader in a way that fits what Georgetown, I think, has been looking for for a long time to return to that prominence. Obviously, high expectations he will have to fill there. Uh, you talk about the impact Georgetown can have there, Michael, and Cooley's going to be expected to fill all of what you just talked about. And that, in some ways, can be harder than going to the Final Four. You have to be a leader of men on and off the court here. And um, I, I, you talk about pulling a community together. I think he's done the opposite now with Providence, which we are going to be talking about here shortly. Will, I know you had a point you wanted to bring up here. Yeah, so I guess a question for Michael, because, again, I... We're all, as Providence fans here, still are trying to digest this information. I mean, the timeline came out, which was a little sketchy. Ed Cooley is a figurehead in the state. Like, in my blog that I wrote today, I can confidently say that in the state of Rhode Island, you can put up a random actor, athlete, politician, whoever, and 50% of the state would know who that person is. You put up a picture of Ed Cooley, 100 out of 100 people are like, that's Ed Cooley, head coach of the Providence Friars. So I think... And the reason I make that point is because it's like, again, not my money, not your money, not any of our money um, that we spent on this. Is $6 million a stretch for Ed Cooley? If that's the reported contract, five, $6 million, because like I'm having a hard time, you know, Ed Cooley was going to leave for Georgetown no matter what, based on what these reports are saying and his gut feeling. And Michael, how you mentioned the legacy, obviously you can't say no to money, but is $6 million a lot compared to all of the other coaches in the league who have already won national championships? And I'm not trying to, you know, dilute the situation and be a little, you know, pissy because Ed Cooley obviously left. But I can't justify the $6 million mark for him because what has he done besides build the community and build the program? He hasn't won anything. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there, Will. Um, you know, I, I love Ed Cooley. I'm devastated that he left. But to be honest, I think Georgetown might have overpaid here because if you look at Cooley's body of work, I mean, obviously what he did for Providence College as an institution and as a basketball program, you know, he took the program decades into, you know, from where it was to where it is now. And he did that in 12 years. If you look at his success on the national scale, meaning the NCAA tournament, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong here. He has three wins in that same time span. Yeah. Well, and one was a buzzer beater. You know, so we're not talking, you know, Jay Wright, who has stormed Villanova through to countless final fours and national championships. We're talking Ed Cooley, who has three NCAA tournament wins and most recently a sweet 16 where, you know, you held the eventual national champion Kansas on the ropes and you only lost by five. That's his his crown jewel right there. Six million dollars to pry him away from the program and the institution that he built up from the gutter. To me, I, I think it's a little bit of an overpayment there. And, Michael, everything that you said about why he was drawn to Georgetown, I think is absolutely well taken. I think from the Providence side of things, though, you know, this is a bridge that you're burning that you can never rebuild. You know, if from the day he, from today going on to the day that he retires, he will return to the Amico Mutual Pavilion and be met with booze for the entirety of the game. The security on that game year in and year out is, is going to be razor thin, uh, excuse me, super tight, just given, you know, the, the history, recent history, Matt, as you know, of the <laughs> Providence fan base. 
Well, that's the thing too, Joe. It's like, part of me wonders, is this worth it? You know, like this was, we, we had the, let me, let me be very clear. We had the distinct pleasure of interviewing Ed Cooley in, in November, 2021. I mean, he, he gave us a half hour and sat down and answered questions about the Gavits and, you know, the history of Providence and stuff. And the one thing he kept coming back to was just how grateful he was when he was walking around the streets of Providence as a kid, going through what he called the what if scenarios. Um, and all he wanted to do was coach there. Now I get it, right? Maybe the, if any of us were him, let's get real. You've probably hit your ceiling, right? You've been there 12 years. What do you have to show for it, right? We've, we've just talked about that. I wonder if that's all going to be worth it to be it. Like he has to be okay with that to make the decision. He did. He has to be okay with going back to his dream job and getting relentlessly booed. They may never forgive him. Providence may never forgive this guy. They might, but the reality is that they probably won't. And if they do, it's going to take a very, very, very long time. I think, I think if, in the sense of I maybe in terms of like NCAA tournament, maybe they overpaid. Like, sure, that that's six million dollars is a lot of money. It's a lot more money than I could ever dream of having. I, I, the things I do for six million dollars, you have no idea. But I feel like in the sense of like community building, like I feel like that matters so much. And also getting the winning games. Georgetown doesn't win many games. You get people back in the stands with Ed Cooley with a couple guys. Let's say he brings over a couple guys, and then he can recruit the transfer portal well. Like Matt mentioned, the recruiting battles between uh, Willard and Cooley now. It's already happening with Ish Leggett in the transfer portal. Uh, he is a stud at Rhode Island. Whoever he goes, they're getting a starter. That's a Big East level starter or a Big Ten level starter. That is someone who is going to play big minutes and hit big shots for whatever team he goes to. And then I'm looking, if there is anyone in my mind that you want, the, a lot of the DMV, like AAU, all that stuff, it's a lot of politics. It's like, all right, like if I'm Kevin Willard, it's going to be his first year with that recruiting class. Jamie Kaiser and you have Deshaun Harris-Smith, they might be looking at that in the sense of Jamie Kaiser played 18.7 minutes and Deshaun Harris-Smith had 19.5 minutes per game. My guy should be playing more. He is better. We're never sending a guy to there again. Like there are so many politics that come in with just the recruiting, the DMV itself. I don't think there's anybody in the world who is more qualified to do that than Ed Cooley. And I'm looking at that 2024 DMV class. Dude, dude, there are multiple future NBA players there. Multiple. There are program changers right there. Let's say even like year one, let's just say they're an NIT team. They won a couple big games, but they don't do a lot. You get some of those guys in the program year two, you're talking Sweet 16 immediately. Immediately. You're talking we are competing for a Big Ten, uh, excuse me, Big East title. We are, we are right there. We're competing for everything. Those guys can change the program, and I feel like that's really why Ed Cooley was brought in. He's brought in to recapture this and hopefully win some games. Like, I think Ed Cooley in D.C. is going to really succeed. I think he is the perfect guy to manage all the recruiting and stuff like that. But, yeah, I think they're really bringing him in to try to build the brand back and then focus on winning. I think the branding is coming first. I think that's why you bring in Ed Cooley, and then the winning will follow. Yeah, and Joe, I know you want to say something. I want to just jump in real quick here. The other part of this, the financial, like, $6 million, one doesn't matter as much if you have that money to spend. Like, this is all coming from people outside and all that stuff. If they want to spend it, like, it's 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 not about whether we think it's worth the money. It's about whether they think it's worth the money. That's what matters here. And the part of it, nobody's going to Georgetown games anymore. That changes. You get people buying tickets and people buying merch. 
that'll repay itself real quick if when that stuff picks up. Yeah, I was just going to add in a quick comment here on the recruiting front. Um, obviously, you know, time the timeline right now is very fluid and things are news is dropping as the hours progress. I think the status of Jeff Battle is a really important timeline to watch with respect to both camps here because as good of a recruiter as Ed Cooley was, Jeff Battle held a lot of that weight as well. Um, you know, Cooley and Battle tag team a lot of the recruiting process over the years. So, you know, not discrediting Cooley's ability to recruit out of the DMV, but, you know, Jeff Battle had a huge hand to play in that too. So I think whether or not Cooley brings him down to DC with him is another storyline you definitely want to watch. And then, Jake, I wanted to respond to your comment about, you know, Providence eventually forgiving Cooley. I think it could have been a possibility had this been handled differently. You know, the, Less than a week ago, we heard him say, what rumors? And now we find out all of this stuff. His house has been listed since March 3rd. You know, you know, you knew damn well about the rumors. You know, just the way he addressed the press, the way he dragged along the fan base and the players, someone who was, you know, I'm players first. I just, I don't think this was handled appropriately. You know, the guys on senior night got a terrible send off. It was just, I think there was... A, there is a world where Providence can forgive Ed Cooley, overlook this, and really, you know, be grateful for where he took the program to from where it was. I think the way that the this transition was handled kind of evaporates that almost immediately. Matt, I'm sure you're going to take us into the timeline, um, you know, in a second here, but to address the money and all that other stuff, like, you know, the the NIL was something that everybody rushed towards as a possible explanation. They're like, Hey, you know, could Georgetown be a better NIL school? Um, blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out they weren't paying Cooley like too much more money. It was more money. Right. But it wasn't, uh, he was making over 4 million bucks at Providence. I mean, that's still the high, you know, probably top 10% um, in the nation. You know, NIL Providence has been very competitive Georgetown, you know, do they have a small edge? Maybe, but now we know those re really weren't factors. He genuinely was looking for some sort of change in scenery. Um, we won't know what the extent is for a while, but I feel like those are just off the table too. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a weird situation because it doesn't feel like we have the full story on why he left there's a lot of plausible reasons but we heard it's monday we heard last night from ed cooley himself and didn't really get any clear answers on anything lots of comments about stuff but nothing clear which is surprising from somebody who i think has always been a very direct communicator through 12 years of providence for that to suddenly change in the last three weeks of your tenure i think it shows something yeah, I, I I don't know if we're going to get answers a ton from at least Cooley himself, just because I don't think the DM, like the guys in the DMV, like the Washington Post just hasn't been following Christian basketball for a while. They're going to have to win. Then Cooley can like hit the media. He's apparently scheduled like an alumni meeting. That's just rumors. Uh, that's a big thing. But on the NIL point, uh, I I really think Georgetown is like Georgetown has the money. They I don't know if they have like a collective setup or anything like that. But if we're talking in terms of dollars, Georgetown's endowment in the Big East is by far the most. The boosters and whatever, by far, like they're up there. They just paid six million dollars yeah. for Ed Cooley yeah. <laughs> and, and bought they, out Patrick Ewing. Mm -hmm. And they have committed to like they. F there are rumors going around that they have committed big time to like spending on NIL, like significantly more than like a Providence would spend. 
Uh, there have been some sharp people like uh, Nationwide Nolan. I follow him on Twitter. Very sharp dude in like the Georgetown side. Very sharp dude in basketball in general, but especially on the Georgetown side. He was saying that a PC might be like tapped out of recruiting. And apparently Ed was uh, Mr. Cooley, coach, whatever you want to call him, was frustrated about like not having enough NIL with uh, 2024 recruit uh, Kurt Tang. I, that's, there's a rumor going on about that. I, I don't know how much any of this is true. Like this, this yeah. could be true. It's just speculation. But if that's the case, Georgetown's going to have enough money to get some of these guys in. I, if they can set up a collective yeah. and get that going, I, I think it's big time. Yeah. And I don't think you need any more evidence for what Georgetown's NIL can do than the fact that this team got Brandon Murray, one of the top players in the entire transfer portal to come there last season off of an, an Owen 20 Big East year with the same head coach. The fact that you're able to land somebody like that means you're willing to throw the money around to get the good players. Now, once you add wins to that and a coach with a pedigree plus the money and probably more money coming now, if they start winning, the money will flow. That's a really good recipe for things to work. I do want to talk about the Providence side of things. And Michael, do you want to say something? <laughs> Uh, I saw a tweet. I think it's fake, but it said that Eddie Lampkin would join Georgetown. I, I, I first I'm he like, got a crystal I, ball. there was a check. There was a check mark. So I'm like, it's verified. Then it's like the dude, I scroll over. He's like a hundred followers and he paid for it. I'm like, damn it. You got me. Well played. Good <laughs> cap. You got a crystal ball. I, I think, I, I think is this where we talk about the timeline for stuff? I think so. Because that's a great natural transition right there. If Eddie Lampkin goes to Georgetown after a zoom call, while prove, Cooley was still the Providence head coach. That is yeah, class so, A snake. So the, the timeline and everything, Providence played at Georgetown on, I believe it was February 26th, the last Sunday in February. That was the last win that Ed Cooley got as the Providence head coach. After the game, he started his press conference by making a point to talk about how happy he was to hang out with his family and his daughter in D.C. and get to see them which at the time sounded nothing more like a family man, although you look back on that comment now and think it could be interpreted otherwise. Um, that Wednesday, the team loses to Xavier at home, first home loss of the season. Friday is when apparently he signs to have his house listed and put on the market. Saturday, the team plays on senior day, gets blown out at home by a Seton Hall team that it had already beaten on the road earlier that year. Uh, there were boos from the crowd at certain points. I think Cooley kind of walked off without doing his usual thank you to the fans that he does on senior day. Uh, not It was not a great scene. They go to the Big East tournament. Providence loses. Rumors had started to build in that time that he could be leaving. The Ghost of Leroy account tweeted on March 6th. They're hearing that Ed Cooley in Georgetown could be a thing that happens, which I think was notable because that's an account that doesn't tweet a whole lot of scoops is usually somewhat plugged in when they do. And most of the tweets are about football, sometimes golf. So that he does say uh, you're, you're not giving him enough credit. He does say bark, bark too. He does say bark, bark. Yes. Yes. Um, the dog. Yes. But I think that was the first thing that caught people's eye that, Hey, this is an account that doesn't cover college basketball. That's tweeting out a rumor. And it's an account that's usually correct about stuff. Things started to build steam. Then so when the rumors started flying and basically over the course of the next two weeks, Ed Cooley did absolutely nothing to dismiss those rumors at any point, including on Selection Sunday when he said what rumors, uh, among a lot of other things, saying I'm focused on Kentucky, I'm the head coach of Providence College basketball right now, things like that. Um, 
team loses on Friday, the first round against Kentucky in the NCAA tournament, making it four losses in a row to end the season. Um, Sunday, he does a, an interview with Moria Hirschgordon on WPRI, where he gets again asked, he got asked about stuff after the game, did not dismiss the rumors. He gets asked about it on WPRI, talked a lot, of, a lot, a lot about a lot of stuff. And seemed to basically hint that he and his family wanted to live somewhere else. That's what I took out of that. I don't know if you guys have taken anything else out of it. We can talk about that. And then that was Sunday night with Steve Napolillo giving a live interview after the athletic director at Providence saying, hey, I want basically I did everything I could. And that was the moment where it was like, "Okay, he's probably gone. You wake up Monday morning. Ed Cooley's house has been listed for sale. Rumors build throughout the day before an uh, official announcement comes in the afternoon first in the form of Providence announcing they're seeking a new head coach later in Georgetown announcing officially that he has become the head coach there somewhere in that I believe it was the week of the Big East tournament or no it was the week of the NCAA tournament Providence and and presumably I believe it was directly Ed Cooley met with transfers people in the portal uh, one of whom has now received a crystal ball for Georgetown. That is Eddie Lampkin from TCU, which I think is a, a situation to talk about. Um, yeah, I think that's the full timeline. Did I miss anything? You you forgot to start a year ago when Jeff Goodman tried to start <laughs> manifesting this. I think that's where really where you know this begins, Matt. But no, I I, I mean. I you didn't hit. have time to list all the Jeff Goodman tweets in there. You, We'd you, be here for an hour. <laughs> That'd be like a CVS receipt. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, you got the timeline, you know, down pat there. Um, I think from the Providence fandom side of things. Um, um, oh, wait, hold on. Um, I don't know. Wait, is this the same account? Oh, this is the same account that got you, Michael. Never mind. Tommy Jackson. Yeah, you see, they're good. The check market's bullshit. They get you. And <laughs> Topol Georgian people are like running with it too. So I'm like, is it real? Because if well, so, Tommy that... sent it to me. So yeah, but yes, yeah, continue, yeah. Joe. No, um, from from the Providence fandom side of things, um, I think starting with that loss at Xavier, and you know, ending with this loss against Kentucky in the tournament. Um, you know, you're kind of, you're scratching your head, like what happened here? Uh, Especially I think senior night too. The players just looked completely checked out. And uh, I keep seeing stuff on Twitter today that the players were in the dark until this morning. They're not dumb. Uh, I'll say that, you know, players have social media accounts. They have Twitter accounts. They hear the coaches. They see the changes in the body language and the the different types of narratives that are coming from the coaching set. You know, just because they were quote unquote in the dark doesn't mean that they're not aware with, of what's going on. I think one of the most telling things right now is Jared Bynum hit the transfer portal. He's the first one out today and he's from the DMV the past two seasons. He played lights out at Georgetown. I wouldn't be surprised if he, that's where he lands. Um, I think from the Providence fan side of things, there was an, uh, an inexplicable haunting feeling when we lost back-to-back home games. I know Matt, you and I were talking off of the mic about, you know, the rumors are starting to heat up a little bit and now we're playing very poorly at home where we had been undefeated otherwise up until that point. So I think from the Providence side of things, it's just, you know, there were, there was a lot of, there were a lot of signs that, you know, I was certainly in denial about it. I think fans were in denial about it too, but there were certainly signs that, you know, we were heading towards this ultimatum of Cooley leaving or ultimate decision of Cooley leaving. 
another account just picked up uh, Lampkin committing to Georgetown. Uh, so there's uh, like about 5,000, 6,000 followers. So if, they, if this, if that's real, uh, you couldn't at least fake it a little bit and just wait like a couple days. Like, come on. I don't know. That's, I, I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's the thing. This, and this, this whole thing is um, uh, above board. Isn't the right word, but normal in college basketball, the backdoor channeling and agreeing to things before the season ends and all that stuff with Ed Cooley. It, it happens. Now we're looking at a situation where after Ed Cooley had listed his house for sale, presumably locking in that he was going to be moving and a date that a lot of people have assumed is the date when we know for sure he's taken this Georgetown job. After that point, he was as Providence College head coach was talking to somebody in the portal who now is reportedly going to the new school he's going to. If he was recruiting somebody for a new school that he had not taken the job of yet when he's another job. That is another level. That's something else. That scenario where I think the commissioner might get involved. I don't even know what de- to what degree a commissioner can get involved in any of this. I, we don't really have rules around it. Just because something is hasn't happened before or people may consider to be unethical doesn't mean that there's any rule stopping it from happening. So I, I don't know what to do with that situation. <laughs> If Val Ackerman wants to get involved, she should make an executive decision to reinstitute reinstitute Tall Boys at the Dunkin' Donuts Center <laughs> and schedule the Georgetown at PC game for Friday night at eight o'clock. If that's how she wants to get involved, this is how that's the best way to do it. <laughs> we'll say Providence, like we're talking. Keep in mind, check to Joy's agent. So keep keep you have to keep that in mind. He's an artifact. Yeah. Providence did. It is public. They tried to poach John Thompson and Rick Patino from then Biggie schools. Yeah. So I feel like that has to be mentioned. Like, and DeJoy, again, he's ancient. He's been around forever. He, he will, he's, he's ancient. So I feel like he might remember that. Yeah. I, I agree. I also, I, I forget who put it out earlier today, but we have to keep in mind that a lot of the people that are talking about this weren't even alive when that was happening. Um, and also that was the old Big East. You know, I think Napolillo, who has surprisingly handled this very well, addressed today that when the Big East reconfigured, it was kind of like we're brothers in arms here, you know, against the rest of college basketball. Like if teams yeah. want to leave for football, we're going to stand united and we're going to be the college basketball conference. And I think that's why there's such a feeling of disrespect from the Providence side of things is like, you know, we're supposed to be here. You know, we play each other. Fine. If that's a bloodbath, that's a bloodbath. But in terms of outlook towards the rest of the NCAA, we're the basketball conference and we stick together. You know, we root for our other Big East schools when we're in the tournament. And to recruit the coach of a fellow Big East school while that coach is coaching at another school that has aspirations for the postseason, that's playing for a share of the Big East regular season title, that's playing for Big East tournament seating, that's playing for NCAA tournament seating, to do that while that coach is still there, it's just, I think it's in it's in bad taste. And I'm not discrediting what Providence did 40 years ago because it, it was ba- it's bad then too. But I just think there's a, a new feel to the Big East and this is kind of just, it's snaky. And this is what rivalries are made out of. I mean, come back to it. The reason why we love this sport, I'll tell you this much. College basketball is not a better product than the NBA in terms of the skill level of the people. We've root, we, we support this because of the storylines, because of the narratives, because of how emotionally we get invested in it. Because we went to these schools and it's not just, it's not just oh, I like, the, I like that team. I grew up in the area and I watched them 
every day or whatever it is. It's, oh, you kind of live and breathe it, especially when you're on campus and you go there. And this is going to heighten that. The emotions are going to be high. We have a, it's not a new rivalry. Providence Georgetown has been a rivalry for a long time, but it is renewed in a way that uh, we haven't seen before, or at least in a very long time, probably since like the eighties. And I, I think of Rick Pitino making a run and getting stopped by Georgetown back in 87. So yeah, it's, uh, or no, sorry, he went through Georgetown in 87. And, you know, this is, it's going to be great for the conference short term in terms of viewership, because I can guarantee you fans of all 11 schools are going to be tuned in when Providence hosts Georgetown next year. We'll see how much it, it carries through after that. The best case for the Big East is that Ed Cooley is a good coach at Georgetown and the next guy up at Providence is also a good coach. And you get this high stakes rivalry. The worst case is that it doesn't work for Ed Cooley and he ruined the Providence program in the meantime. And you just had a guy who was a figurehead of your new conference kind of tarnish his own legacy in the process of not helping either of the schools he's attached to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know how to respond to that. But yeah. <laughs> that game next year is going to be so fun. Ah, my goodness. That's going to be so much fun. I, I remember I made like a point of watching the beard going back to a uh, Texas tech game. That was fun. And now that's in my, and now that's in my conference. Like, whoo. Yeah. Woo-hoo! Say goodbye. That's gonna that's gonna be crazy, especially when Eddie Lampkin and Jared Bynum combine <laughs> for seven thousand points and dominate Providence. And Garway Duel too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's yeah. building up in Georgetown. It's building up. Yeah, Jake. There's been a lot of uh, Joe, Michael, and I talking. I want to make sure you get your <laughs> thoughts in on this. No, you know I. I came in with the hard hitting stuff of the rivalry, right? Like, you know, and how cool he's going to be perceived. You know, I, I just, I, I can't help coming back to what, again, we'll reference our good friend, Jeff Goodman, who's also a beers business of Paul's guest from back in the day, a friend of the program, but I never thought he would actually go through with it. I really didn't. And, you know, when you leave your hometown, I get it. You know, there's, you have a career, you have a family, right? You got to do what's best for them. Does the risk or is the reward there greater than the risk of what he'll become at Providence now? And that's just something we don't have the answer to. And we're not going to for many years. And that's, that's all. I'm not going to add anything that hasn't been said. I think it was, uh, you know, we're going to look back at those media uh, clips from Greensboro and the fact that he said, you know, after the Seton Hall loss, like, you know, hey, Seton Hall beat an arrogant team today, a day after he signed his house to sell the team or to sell the house. Um, you know, we're going to look back at a lot of those moments and say, OK, he, he had something cooking there. Right. Um, he looked the reporters in the eyes and said, you know, well, uh, our staff's going to get approached every year. Right. And that's just stuff we're going to have to comb through and say, what the hell was he really thinking? And I hope it was worth it, Ed. I do. He's a great guy. He is an awesome dude that's been nothing but great to all of us. I wish him the best of luck for sure. But holy shit, did he burn down his bridges in Providence. One thing on the home. John Rustin doxed him. Why? Why? Why do we, why do we just... <laughs> yeah, people sleep on that. I did, yeah. yeah, that's... <laughs> 
That, that was so that, bad. Just put two and two together. He's like, oh, yeah, the, the Chris Dunn jersey in the house. Who else could it be? You know what gave it away, though, was the pool. The pool. He How many pool videos? Pool every time something cool happens. Yeah. And then he posts this big, beautiful, which, by the way, that's a, a really freaking nice pool. That's uh, yeah, you, uh, whoever can afford 1.9 million down there. I, you should go get it. It's a great house. Yeah, I, I saw. Was, uh, <laughs> I, I was going over this with my girlfriend this morning because I showed her the Zillow listing because I wanted to just out of curiosity, and she was swiping through it and she gets the picture of the pool and she goes, "Oh yeah, I know that pool." <laughs> she's not. She's not a college basketball fan. She only see, knows of this stuff because of me. And from seeing just the pool videos and gifts on Twitter that I have retweeted, she was immediately able to recognize that. So everybody, the second that listing went up, it was the clock was had started that he was going. I mean, there is more smoke to this Lampkin thing. This might that might be real. That Lampkin is just committed to Georgetown, which is insane. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we had to. This you know, we had to get part. one more piece of news in. Taking, you get something. taking suggestions for what to rename the flex. <laughs> I think you wait for the next coach to be hired. I think yeah, you name yeah, it after yeah. something like that. And can I, and I want to, that's a good segue to the, the next part of this here, because I think the, one of the more interesting discussions of this from the Providence side is that Providence historically has not been one of the better programs in the big East. It's had its moments, but it has historically been used as a stepping stone by a number of coaches. The biggest success Providence may have had in this whole thing was creating the conference to start with, with Dave Gabbett. After that, the basketball team had its ups and downs, has not been able to sustain success. Ed Cooley brought it to to sustained success. And with that came a ton of investment in the program. New facilities, NIL, the building that they play in, which has gotten better and has gotten more fans in it, and you've gotten more media attention than ever. I mean, I'm sure you guys all know this. How many random schools do you know because you saw their name in a bracket once when you were a kid? And now Providence has that appeal. People have heard the name because of what's happened over the last decade. I, I think I can give you a list of those random schools, actually. Grambling State. I loved um... Winthrop <laughs> was the one I always loved. Yeah. Winthrop, uh, that's actually how Butler. I uh, that's how I learned LIU, uh, NEC yeah. basketball. Pretty cool stuff. And, and Fairleigh Dickinson is now going to be very much on that list. But Ed Cooley did that for Providence. And I think there's a sense of uncertainty here with not knowing exactly how strong the Providence program is. Because it has been Ed Cooley, but it is also a very different beast than it was when Ed Cooley first signed in Providence. There's a lot more success. The expectations are higher. There's more money there. I don't think it's one of the worst jobs or one of the in the bottom tier of jobs in the Big East anymore. It's not in the top. I don't know if it ever could be just with the recruiting pool that you're going to get uh, in the Rhode Island area. But I think it's a good job now. And the appeal that it'll have for the next candidate is interesting. Um, the rumor is Kim English, a uh, two-year head coach at George Mason could be the next one in line, which I think is a very interesting hire. We'll see how that plays out as a young guy there, 34 years old. But ability to get the next coach, have that coach have success, and then keep the head coach, I think becomes the next big question here for the Friars. And I think it's an open question. I don't think anybody has any idea what that's going ha- to look like. I think if you go English, I – He's, he first of all he would nail like the opening press conference he matches the energy like the providence fans the crazy providence fans online that's kim english just as a coach 
I think he has really nailed that. He won a game over Maryland. And if he can bring uh, big man Josh Oduro from George Mason to Providence, that's a guy who's going to play big minutes on the Big East team. That's a guy who's better than Eddie Lampkin, in my opinion. Um, that being said, I don't know if he's the guy. We don't know about him as like an X and O's coach. I think there's some questions there. Uh, we know he will bring the energy. And if he works out, he's going to really work out. But I don't know if he's like the X and O's guy. We don't know how good he is in the uh, A-10. Uh, I think if you could combine him and Mike Rhodes, if you could combine them into one coach, I think you have like the perfect coach. I think like that at Providence, I, they would kill it. They do as well as if not better, if you could combine the two than Ed Cooley. Um, but also if you're hiring English, there is always a chance he leaves for like a Tennessee when Rick Barnes leaves something like that. Just because like there are rumors there, Missouri, wherever there are rumors, he could just leave after that. It wouldn't surprise anyone, but if, if he does well enough to build that program, like keep him alive with Ed Cooley, I don't, I don't know if you can really like complain about it. Yeah, I think he would have done his job and then some. Yeah, we'll see what happens here. I think the other part that has made this so emotional for Providence fans is the fact that because the school has been used as a stepping stone for so long, you finally got the guy who wasn't going to be that. You finally got the guy who wasn't going to leave you for somebody else who wasn't going to chase money, and he was that for eleven years and. 11 months and it was the final month where suddenly it felt like the veil lifted and he wasn't that guy anymore as we see here with the way things transitioned out and there's that feeling of hey if he can leave us anybody can not to mention his mantra us we together family friars is now tattooed on the court that was unveiled <laughs> at the beginning of his final season i mean talk about trust issues i mean my god um yeah. district hits in different ways district hits in different <laughs> ways georgetown's back derosa the rise of derosa will never end it begins here you got me down one season nah never happening again let's go oh my goodness all right we've we've done 50 minutes here on ed cooley which i think is is warranted given that it impacts two schools quite significantly and uh is his an historic moment for the conference but he wasn't the only coach that came in today officially man rick patino back in the big east he's at st john's now rumored a six-year contract i think is the the report there slick rick is back michael i'll come to you again first here because you're our rick patino expert apparently what do you think about this home run there was not a better hire st john's could have had Home run. I don't think anyone could really even debate that. This is a home run. And I saw Jeff Goodman earlier. I think we all know who Jeff Goodman is. Uh, <laughs> he said St. John's is easily a top 20, is going to be in his top 25. That will probably be in my top 20, top 15. He's going to get that program back immediately. That is a top half Big East team, no questions. That is a market in NYC that is back because of Rick Patino. They are nationally relevant again for the first time in however long. They're relevant. It was a home run hire. It was as good as it could possibly be. And that man is going to win games. I can guarantee you that. Rick Pitino will win games at St. John's, and he will win big games, and they'll be in the tournament next year. I am very confident in saying all that. Rick Pitino is an excellent coach, and, of course, the Rick Pitino update will live on. Now in the Big East, more content. I mean, if you thought the Ed Cooley thing is going to be content, Rick Pitino every day, that man is content. Steer is nothing else content. Like, he, he delivered some banging tweets today. Oh my goodness. Like, I'm not sad it's over. I'm happy it happened. <laughs> He's a gem. He's a genius. It's perfect. All of it 
The Rick Pitino saga is going to be perfect. I can't wait. And he's going to win games. Guaranteed. He is, there will be some schools that will. It's, it, good luck going against Rick Pitino. Good luck. He's getting dudes. And at St. John's, the problem was never talent. They got a coach now. They got dudes. Good luck. And I agree with that fully, that last statement in particular. The problem yep. was never talent in Queens. If you, like, it's very simple. If Rick Pitino was coaching this team this year, they'd be in the NCAA tournament. They might have even been still playing right now. They'd still be in the NCAA tournament. I think they'd be going into the second weekend. I mean, you look at this yeah. dude's resume. I'm not going to go line by line here, but he's got two rings. He's been to the final four. Hell, he took Providence to the final four in 87, right? Um, you know, this guy has won more championships in different pockets. I mean, he's coached in the ACC. He's coached in the NBA. He's coached in the SEC. He's coached at BU. He's coached at Syracuse. He's coached all this... It's like, what the hell else does he need to prove? And yet he's still out here saying, I want to coach for another five to 10 years. Um, and he's getting up there. He's 70 years old. So I think I, I see the other side of it where a lot of people are saying, well, this might backfire in two years when he goes, nah, I'm going to retire, whatever. <laughs> it's just, I forgot the BS of being in a power six conference. It's, you know, uh, now I'm fighting for all these same recruits as these New York guys and all my fucking Ed Cooley in DC is stealing my recruits. Um, what am I going to do? But, you know, I, I really like this because we've, we've seen the talent that has gone through Queens. I mean, if they were a cohesive team without all the locker room BS this year, and without all the discipline and you know team violations that Mike Anderson handed down, this could have been a team that went pretty far. I really do believe that. Not to mention who he's going to bring in. He's going to take some of the guys from Iona, right? I don't know some what Nelly players Jr. there. Iona's a good team. Is. Does does he have another year, Nelly Junior Joseph? Because he should take him if that's the case. Six nine forward. That goes a long way in the Big East. You saw what Ed Croswell, who was you know he was. He was not the second coming at LaSalle, and he came and was serviceable in Rhode Island. You take Nelly Jr. Joseph, who's better than Ed Croswell, I think, and you put him in the front court against all these big dudes in the Big East, I think he's going to be a problem. I really do think that. Junior Joseph, Clayton, and uh, Jenkins all have another year. And those are dudes that will fit in in this conference. Those are dudes. I'm telling you, he brings them all over. This is going to be a, a scary St. John's team. You thought the analytics loved him last year? 2023 could be scary for them. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a shame that this happened today, almost at the same time as the Providence to, cool, uh, to Cooley to Georgetown news, because – this deserves more national attention than I think it's getting. It's a hell of a hire for Brian Shanley and St. John's. Um, and I mean, it's a breath of fresh air into a program that saw the likes of, you know, Shimori Ponds come and go with what one NCAA tournament appearance. Like, like yeah. th this, this is a St. John's team that's similar to Georgetown used to run table and based. And now, you know, you bring in the right coaching, you have the, the raw athletic talent, you, you know, they're going to be at the top. They're going to be back yeah. at the top of the conference. I don't think this is exactly a one-to-one -one comparison, but the thing that kind of comes to mind here is like when Tom Brady went to the Buccaneers, like, you know, you're getting a winner for a, a, a program that's been dysfunctional and you know, you're getting them for a short time. 
and yeah. you're going to have to capitalize on a short spurt with a proven winner to fix things and make it work. You don't know what it's going to look like after that, but you also don't really care what it's going to look like after that because you're trying to capitalize on a small window. I think the irony of this too is when, how recently did Mike Anderson win Big East Coach of the Year? What was that, 2021? Two years? Yeah, two years ago. Or one, yeah, two seasons ago, I guess. I, I, the 20, it was a 20, rough year in the Big East that year. It was a rough I think, year. I, that, was the, that was the Georgetown Big East tournament year, wasn't it? I, no was, I blocked out a lot of that season. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this goes to show like how much can change and how you can lose control of a locker room so quickly. Yeah. Michael, you've no more thoughts on, on Rick Patino. That's it. I mean, we look, the Rick Patino update has been going on for a long time. It's a home run. Like there isn't anything to say other than it is the perfect hire. It is 100%. You got your guy, you get an A plus in the off season and they're going to win games. That's I heard it. they're putting they, Michael DeRosa on retainer to sit in Patino's car while he drives to Queens so he doesn't get lost. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Like Does he said he, I he would. I want to know. I really want him using like a paper map. I don't want him like having knowing what ways <laughs> Google Maps is, any of it. You I need to like, hear what you said a couple weeks ago, right? Where he goes, I don't even know how to get to St. John's. I'm going to have to use that navigation. Last week. Yeah. Perfect. That was last week he said gold, that. Gold. He is a gold mine of content. That's what I'm saying. He just says these things. They don't make any sense, but it doesn't matter. It's gold. It's Rick Patino. And he, where Ed Cooley messed up is where he would just talk about anything, everything, whatever, and just try to get out, like face it, whatever. What Rick, what Rick Bettino did, he's just slyly sending texts and talking about his maps. Genius. The man is a veteran of the game, and he knew what he was doing. And it doesn't get out enough, so I'm going to remind everyone of this. The man coached in Greece. He flew over everything to coach in Greece and won there. He won in Greece. The man's going to win. Going to. Going to win at St. John's. This isn't an if. This is a definite. He is going yeah. to win at St. John's. I, I, I want to add to that. Like, you know, this is also a guy that he left in drastically different scenarios. I get it. But within reason, he left gracefully everywhere he went. Right. Like Iona, he left it on very good terms. That was different. He changed that program forever. I think you're going to have new money coming in. They're going to have new facilities. They're going to it's going to be a a hotbed in the Mac. And I think that's they're they're always going to love him for that. But even at Louisville. Um, the way that went down, he's still not like ousted from their community, right? Like I'd venture to say the Celtics uh, and the Knicks both are like, yeah, whatever. Patino is a good guy, right? Um, it's going to be very different when he goes back to those places versus a guy like Ed Cooley, right? And I get it. Yeah. Again, the circumstances are, are drastically different. It's probably comparing apples with not even oranges, like some other random fruit. Clementines. But- yeah, apples with clementine, sure. Or like maybe I was thinking maybe like a dragon fruit or something more obscure, um, but timeless, such as Rick Pitino. Yeah. Um, by the way, the the Rick update officially tomorrow at noon will be the introductory press conference. That's Tuesday, March twenty first at noon. They're going to have that at MSG. Uh, a live stream will be available on the St. John's website for anybody who would like to watch this. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. It's a new era in Queens. And I think the big takeaway from this, uh, two of the most storied programs in the big East and two of the biggest cities in the big East, Georgetown and St. John's are now immediately going to have much higher expectations for their programs next year than they had this year. Going back to it. Uh, I feel like it's confirmed. Eddie Lampkin's going to Georgetown. That is a lot. Yeah, it is. 
which he that can is wait a couple days. PR move. <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, I don't know what Val has to do, but she has to do something. Something she has to make a statement at least, at the very least. It's got to be. I don't know what rule that violates, but it's got to violate some rule of a coach of an existing program recruits you to go play at another in conference. Right? I I don't know. I don't know. About Doesn't that. feel good. I can tell but, you that much. Well, it's certainly That's not, not above board. Great, but it's, I feel great it's, about it. Lincoln's a good player. Hey, he's a great player. Uh, does it come at the cost of tampering? Is the question. Yeah. And uh, we don't even. I mean, this is a whole new world too. In a lot of different ways, this is when unprecedented this happened, for the Big East. You know? yeah. I don't think this has ever happened before. We have no precedent for something like this. None of none of what's happened today, basically, except Rick Pitino being in the Big East. We have precedent for that one. None of the rest we have any precedent. I know we we do want to get to the actual basketball that was played this weekend, which has somehow this is the NCAA tournament, and that has somehow gotten put in the rearview mirror because of the events of today. Jake and Joe, are you guys jumping off for this, or do you guys want to weigh in? I'm gonna gotta hop off here. Yeah, boys, I'm, but, I'm jumping uh, too. I, right. I love. I will just say my closing comments. Love Creighton's path to the potentially the Final Four. Um, you know they've got Princeton in their way now, which is red hot. But uh, hey, Creighton's been playing some really solid basketball. Love their win against Baylor and UConn. If they play basketball like they've been doing in the second half, God help everybody. That's <laughs> uh, that's my drop the mic moment. But. Thanks for having me on. Long live Road to the Garden House of College Hoops. Joe, any mic drop from you? Or are you just you just dropping off? I have plenty to say, but if uh, you want to hear it, tune into the Flex later tonight. Yeah, we'll be oh, doing that at some point tonight. Open mic forum. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, well, we will be uh, we'll be seeing you guys uh, later. It's going to be just Michael and I. We're going to talk now about the actual basketball from this weekend michael it was a it was a pretty good weekend all things considered for the big east on the court we'll start with the two teams that bowed out early i think here we talked a lot about providence anything worth taking away from that kentucky game that they they lost on friday night that game was so bad it was it was painful but neither team could hit shots no but the one thing i'm gonna write you out here for a second so i'm sorry in advance but uh you said in the DMs, we were talking about this game, and you said if Ed Croswell can be 80% of Oscar Sheebway, and they probably wins this game. He wasn't 20% of Oscar Sheebway. I, at that point, I'm like, this man has never watched Oscar Sheebway play. It's like, yeah. oh, you are in for a rude awakening. He had 13 rebounds in like 10 minutes. He's insane. He's special. Yeah, he's, I mean, he was unbelievable for Kentucky in that game. And I think, honestly, I thought Providence played him pretty well defensively. He didn't score that much. He didn't take over the game there, but he got so many second chances. And it was a night where neither team could hit shots, and Kentucky got way more chances. Uh, I pulled this, pulled this stat. Providence it was 0-6 this season when having a negative rebound differential. Just that, that was kind of their, their Friars curse this year, and I don't know if you saw what shot quality said about this game. Shot shot quality basically had this as a tie or with Kentucky having a slight advantage, but also it had it as like a 70-69 type game. And both teams were shooting well below the quality of the looks they were getting, which I think totally matches the eye test. If you watch that game, teams were getting open looks and nobody could hit them. 
Uh, yeah, I think with shot quality, I feel like you have to use it only if it matches the eye test. Like very yeah. similar to like like defense like individual defensive stats. I don't like quoting those just because like so much of defense is team based. That yeah. like what if like there's so many added variables there that I feel like it's kind of hard to just make those stats significantly uh, statistically significant. Excuse me. But yeah, I I mean I just every every time I feel like I turn to that game, like I had a couple screens on, it would just be like Oscar Shiwa gets a rebound kick out. Oscar Shiwa gets a rebound kick out. Oscar Shiwa this rebound. Oscar Shiwa that rebound. And it was that from like the first oh, yeah. first or second Kentucky possession of the game, it was like that and Providence's offense really hit a, a lull there which it did at points late in the season. I uh, could not hit threes for the third straight game in a row. They were under 30% from deep. The last time that happened was back in the 2020-21 season. So it's been a while since they had a stretch like that shooting. Cost the Friars. We talked a lot about them earlier, so you know what's going on there and some of the reasoning that could have played into a subpar performance. Friars end the season with four losses in a row. They are out. The next team out in the Big East. It's the Big East regular season champion, Big East tournament champion, Marquette Golden Eagles, which I... We did our we did our bracket preview and I, and I didn't talk about this enough. Talking about Marquette's draw here, Marquette with all those accolades had to go up against Tom Izzo in the second round in Columbus, a location closer to Michigan State than to Marquette. This I think was the worst possible situation for them. You add in a Tyler Kolak injury and uh, they get they get one win, but no second weekend for Shaka Smart. Yeah, I read you out in the last one. I'm going to give you credit on this one. You were like, we were texting and you were like, I don't like this matchup at all for Marquette. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, I think Marquette kills them. Like, I, I think they just match up really well. Uh, you are right. One, You were 100% right. Tom, they set a stat on the broadcast. I don't remember that Tom Izzo was like eight and three on like one day prep, something like that. I think the record was much better than that. But whatever it was, it is an incredible record on like one day rest and then playing the next day. He's one of the best minds in the sport. It made sense. They had a very good game plan. They were able to slow the game down. They were able to get Tyler Kolick out of a lot of what he does. And uh, I'm, Jerome, Mr. Fan Club and I have been going back and forth in the comments after he clearly insulted me. But uh, I'm going to address this question. We'll get to the other stuff later, maybe. Uh, I do think it was a goaltend. I don't know if it matters, though. I don't think it would have changed yeah. the game. Um, I I think Mich uh, Michigan State outplayed him. I agree, and I think... I mean, the telling stat for me was, was early on, Marquette was not taking shots inside. At one point, I think they'd taken like 11 shots and seven of them were from deep, something something like that. And, the, and Marquette likes to shoot the three. Uh, they'll, they'll shoot it more than most, but not to that level. That's insane. Nobody shoots it at that level, except some of the, the crazy teams that like to shoot it on every possession. And it, it was because they were settling. You watch the game. I think the thing that was notable was how hard it was for Marquette to get the basketball anywhere near the basket whatsoever. Michigan State's length did a really good job of closing up some of the shooting lanes and some of the passing lanes. And her physical team, her big team, I think this is kind of what many expected UConn was going to do to Marquette back in the Big East tournament when it comes to just the athleticism mismatch. Yeah, I I mean, I didn't expect it out of guys like Tyson Walker. I knew A.J. Hogard was going to be a matchup problem. I thought he was going to score on Cam Jones fairly effectively. But Matty Sissoko for Michigan State, I thought played an excellent game. Um, I didn't think he'd be able to slow down Oso, and I think Oso would be able to dice through him. Uh, there's this take. I don't – yeah, I understand why you think, like, it matters if the goaltending, distracting Marquette, changing momentum of the game. It changed a lot. Like, I think they make it a – would they make it a three-point game or a one-point game? 
if Golik got that layup. I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, it, it would have been much more competitive, I think, late. Like, late, it after that play, it kind of just ruined everything. Like, that was it for Marquette. So, I see why. I still think um, the uh, – which I still think uh, the Spartans would have won, personally. But, yeah, I, I think Matty Sissoko uh, played an incredible game. And uh, I didn't – I thought Oso's speed would be a real problem. I thought Marquette would really be able to get an open floor. But uh, they did an excellent job of getting back. An excellent job. Yeah. Uh, side note, we're going back to the Eddie Lampkin drama. Uh, he apparently has not committed to Georgetown. <laughs> I love this story is awesome. Yeah, oh, yeah we're going back. Oh, snip, snap, snip, snap. So we'll we'll keep you updated. I'm sure you'll see that on Twitter for anybody who is uh, not listening to this live. If you're listening to this recorded, you're going to be very confused as yep. to what's going on. <laughs> do because yeah, you guys all know what happened at this point. But do we do we go ahead to the three teams that did advance to the Sweet Sixteen? Let's do it. Uh, which one should we start with? Should we go top seed to bottom seed? Start with Xavier? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. My takeaway from watching Xavier, uh, that the game against Kennesaw State reminded me of the DePaul game in the Big East tournament and their game against, uh, I'm to- who did they play in the second round? I'm totally blanking here. Uh, Xavier this, this year? Yeah. They played Pitt. Oh, yes. Oh, of course it was Pitt. Yeah, Sean Miller. Uh, the game against Pitt reminded me of their game against Creighton in the Big East tournament, where they once again get the, okay, we're going to let a, a lower-seeded team hang around, and then we're finally going to find something at the end. And then they clicked in the other game. That offense looked unstoppable against Pitt at times in that one. Yeah, uh, I think you, we got a Jeff Capel masterclass in the tournament. Uh, you have the uh, playing game with Mississippi State, where Mississippi State simultaneously gets a wide-open three, followed by a wide-open tip-in that they both just missed. Then Iowa State doesn't get to warm up, and Iowa State is a team that could not really score to begin with. And then I think they just got systematically destroyed by Xavier. Like, Xavier was a team where, like, all right, you're, you've you gotten kind of lucky to get here. Xavier's like, you're done. You're done, son. Hate to break it to you. You are done. But they played inc- they played as well as they could have in the pit game. That was an excellent performance. That was – it really wasn't ever competitive. Xavier just killed him no. tip to finish. Uh, that being said – Kennesaw game, going back to it. Sean Miller got outcoached. I don't know why we are pretending like he didn't. He 100% did, and Amir Abdurrahim is an excellent coach. They had an incredible game plan. They were able to space Xavier out and attack. And the reason Xavier won that game is because Colby Jones is an NBA player. Why? I feel like we're really forgetting that Xavier has a significant everything advantage over Kennesaw State. Kennesaw State's two best players are pretty small guards. They were in Kennesaw State played a really good game. Xavier showed real toughness coming back. I'm not trying to discredit them. That's a really, really good basketball team. I'm no yeah. homework. That is an excellent basketball team. And Xavier got a couple of favorable calls late in that game, too, which I think helped them out. You know what? That's that's the way March goes. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think you know, if you play it, if you my motto here is this if you play a team close, you don't really deserve to complain about the officiating one way or the other because you let it determine the outcome. Um in most in most cases, there I are think exceptions. If you're a program like Kennesaw State, I feel like like this is your one big game. Like right, you're like, gonna be. I understand what I understand why they'd be upset. But yeah, yeah, I thought Kennesaw State played a great game. I thought Jerome Hunter had a great. Everybody's in been time. talking about Colby Jones in this one. Jerome Hunter with a new career high in points, and especially in the first half, I think he was a huge part of just what kept mm-hmm. Xavier afloat and allowed them to mount a comeback. And here's the thing with Xavier: that offense is so good that I never really feel like they're out of a game as long as they can start stringing makes together. Um, 
we'll see what the future holds for them for the rest of this tournament here. But if you get the Xavier offense we got on Sunday, every game, Xavier can win the title, not just the final go to the final four. First time winning Ken, Vom, uh, Ken Palm MVP for Mr. Hunter. So shout out. Yeah, he was incredible. Big. He was the best player on the floor by a long shot. Uh, he kept him in that game. He was incredible. But I yeah. I, I was definitely doing a little bit of a bit. You know, I, I got to, you know, I'm, I'm a, I try to be a funny sometimes, right? Uh, you know, just like, yeah, I can't be rooting for, I have to be rooting for Rodney Terry. I'm on a big E show. I, 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 you can't do that. Like other <laughs> Butler Nation, you do that. I understand. I'm not going to. That being said, I'm fairly confident they lose this game. I think Texas. The Texas? Yes. I think Texas matches up really well. That's a team of destiny. They defend at a really high level. And there were some biggies people getting mad about this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Marcus Carr is better than Sule Boom. Interesting. He is. I got, uh, I'm curious. He probably is. I'm curious to see how they look going up yeah, against one another. It's going to be an incredible matchup. And that is not disrespect to Sule Boom. Marcus Carr is one of the best five three even best players in that region. He is incredible. He yeah. he's really more, he's like shown himself to be like an excellent scorer in his time at Minnesota. He will hit big shots. He can do that. He's an excellent passer too. He finds guys, these guys to get in open space. He's really good at that. Um, I think Timmy Allen's another really good player. I think he's a matchup problem for uh, Xavier. If Jerome Hunter can play at the level he was playing against Kennesaw against Timmy Allen, completely different game. I think Jerome yes. Hunter will, Jerome Hunter I think is the X factor in this game. I think, I think he he's, make the I think he's the X factor for Xavier for the yeah. whole tournament because as long as the offense is the offense, then Xavier can compete with anybody, and he's the type of guy who can be a, um, what do you call it? Uh, the, he could be the defensive weapon and do enough on defense for the offense to win the game. I, f- I forgot Sule Boom and Ronnie Terry were at UTEP together. Shout out again, yeah. Mr. Van Club. That'd be a fun narrative. Yeah. That's a, that's a great poll, Jerome, Mr. Yeah. Fan Club. Um, a great, yeah, so, I, I'm, I'm still fairly confidently picking Texas. I think I just think the length, athleticism, it's a real advantage for Texas. I think they have good depth. I think they will have multiple guys who will play a good role. I think they can win this game at either pace, but I think they're going to effectively slow it down. I think they're going to cook in ball screens. I think they're really good there, and uh, I think there's – I think I think this is a really rough matchup for Xavier. I think Texas is kind of the team of destiny. So uh, I I think Texas wins this game. Well, and we'll end up we'll see how this goes. I had Xavier winning this one. Um, and just time wise here, this game is nine forty five Eastern on Friday night. This is the last game of the Sweet Sixteen. This one's going to be played. I think the path here for Xavier is interesting. If kind of favorites win here. Uh, on the other side with Houston and Miami, the path is going to be against Texas and Houston, which means you're going to see that Xavier offense, which has been one of the best in the country all season, have to go against two very good defenses, especially with what Houston could do. And you know they're going to have to earn it. I think Xavier can beat both of those teams. I don't know if they'd be favored in either game, but it doesn't mean they won't win. They're just going to have to play at a high level. We've seen this team slump before. You can't afford one of those performances at any point the rest of the way. You will lose. You mentioned the uh, Jerome Hunter being an X factor, especially if they if they beat Texas. Let's say they beat Texas, right? And then we get to like the and it is Houston next. Houston beats Miami, which I think they do. Jerome Hunter is going to have to kill it on the glass because Houston will send everybody, everybody to the offensive glass. That that is basically you, their best offense. Have you watched uh, what's this? I'm totally spacing. Oh, Kelvin Sampson. 
Yeah. If if you're looking for a fun time on a Friday night, just go watch Kelvin Sampson practice videos and what he makes the players do there. It is insane. It is intense. Uh, he's one of the best coaches in the country. I think that'd be fascinating to see what that looks like. Sean Miller, I think, is in a conversation for one of the better coaches out there. And I think we're going to get some nice coach matchups here. Intrigued to see what happens in that bracket. Like I said, I have Xavier. You pick Texas. I have Xavier winning and then losing to Houston. Well, I didn't have Houston. I had Indiana coming out of that. But I'll have them win and then lose to Houston. Um, well, we, we'll we'll see what happens. That should be a very, very good game. I'm looking forward to. And we're at a point now for Xavier. I think anything after this is gravy. You made the Sweet 16. You're in a really good spot. If you can do more, you want to do more. You're never going to settle for less than what you can do. But this is a really good point. And you have accomplished something. And you should be happy with what your what your school has done this year. Home run Only, for Sean Miller. Home run. Yeah. And here's the thing. Only one team gets a trophy in college basketball. I think for most programs, too, you got to be okay with celebrating successes that don't that don't, don't end in a trophy. Get into the Sweet 16. That's a success. After what this program has done in the last couple of years, celebrate it. Even if this ends in a lost Friday night, this is a fantastic year. Xavier fans should be proud. Sean Miller should be proud. Those players should be proud of what has happened there. Go to, uh, that's the three seed there in Xavier. We'll go to the four seed from the Big East, and that's UConn. Also getting through, they get past the Gales and the Gales to get into the Sweet 16, beating Iona and St. Mary's there. I felt like at certain points in both of these games, it felt like we were watching November, December UConn again. I mentioned it when we were talking about that, that VCU would be a tougher matchup for UConn than St. Mary's. Yeah, I stand by it. St. Mary's really got they it UConn, like those games are both very competitive in the first half. Then UConn just wears on you. They're so long, they're so athletic, they're so physical that it just wears and it just slowly breaks you down. And that is exactly what happened in both these games, especially the St. Mary's game. That game was competitive. I come in here to see some Ed Cooley updates. I go back outside to watch the game. Game over. Done. Dusted. That was it. Yeah. it I mean, it was UConn looked excellent. They looked excellent in those first two games. They were flawless. Uh, yeah, home run. Perfect. They played perfectly in those two games. Perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. UConn, this is, it's been fantastic basketball. We're going to get Dan Hurley against the Muscle Men uh, on Thursday night, which is a very fun coaching matchup between the two of those. It should be heated on the silence. I wish we could get that game mic'd up like they do for oh, some of the Big East games during oh, the year. Awesome. You'd have to you'd have to air that on HBO. I can tell you that much. You can't put that one over the air. This is going to be seven fifteen Eastern Thursday night, and then uh, the winner of that one is going to play either Gonzaga or UCLA in a rematch of that Final Four game from a couple years ago, which is still arguably the best college basketball game I have ever watched, period. That game was fantastic. So uh, if UConn gets out of this, the Huskies are going to have their work made out for them in the next round. That's two very good teams. Do you think we see the Huskies advance? I think I'm going to say this just uh, off the top. I think if uh, Bill Self coached that game, no disrespect to Norm Roberts. I think if that said, I think if Bill Self coached that game, I think Kansas wins fairly easily. Uh, but get that away. He's didn't. That's all that matters. I will be picking UConn to beat Arkansas. Uh, I think Arkansas is good. They are talented. They're another, they're very similar to UConn. They have the length, athleticism. They have good guards. Ricky Council is great. Nick Smith is a future top 10, five 
somewhere around there. He's a future NBA player. Him against uh, Jordan Hawkins. Whoo, whoo, that's a ton of fun. Uh, I will be picking UConn. I think UConn has more pieces, like especially in the front court. I think they're going to win the battle in the front court. I think Adama Sonogo is either going. You put one of the Mitchells on him. Sonogo's faster than them. You put someone else on him. He is much bigger. I think it's going to be Kamani Johnson that has to guard him. Johnson's been a good player for um, Arkansas. I don't think he's Adama Sonogo. I think UConn just has too many pieces. I think UConn's going to wear him down. I think UConn. I will be picking UConn to win this game. And if they get UCLA, I will be taking UConn. I think they get Gonzaga. That game would be a ton of fun. I will be picking Gonzaga to come out of this region, though. Yeah, I'm locked in with you. I, I think this is a very interesting athletic matchup between Arkansas and UConn. Um, I think UConn's just better. I think this is it's two two teams that are similar, and one team is just better than the other one. I'll take UConn in that one all day long. What happens in the next round, I honestly have no idea. I can't. I still can't get a real good sense of what UCLA is at this point. Um one of their best players is out and we've only seen them play what two games since was it Jalen Clark is that who's hurt Jalen Clark's hurt we did, someone got hurt during the game I thought Singleton got hurt which he's the same position that's two guys at forward against Gonzaga good luck and then Adem Bona they're big I think he was back but we don't know if he's at full health yeah so it's I still don't really have a good idea of how good UCLA is at the moment we'll find out when they play Gonzaga um, if UCLA gets through this game, I think that's a tough matchup for UConn because that means they're playing really well. Gonzaga has some weak spots, especially on defense. Yep. But I like this Gonzaga team a lot. I had this—I actually had this Gonzaga team in my Final Four and then pulled them out for Kansas. I could not decide between the two of those of who I like the most out of this bracket, which is it's crazy to have Kansas, UCLA, Gonzaga and UConn all in the same bracket because that could be a final four right there, depending on where they ended up. But uh, I'm going to take Gonzaga to come out of it, flip a coin on who it actually ends up being, though. Yeah, I would not surprise me. UConn beat Gonzaga. I think they can match them athletically. And if they can slow the game down and you stop Timmy a couple times, they can take them. I, I will be picking Gonzaga, though. I think they do. I think they're just, I think you mentioned like, I agree with you on this point 100%, to be clear. Arkansas and just UConn's just better than Arkansas. They're similar and they're just better. I could argue the same. Like, I think Gonzaga's just kind of a better version of Arkansas. And I think that's enough. I think that will be enough to pull them over the edge. But it will be a very, very fun game. I'm very excited if it happens. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. One last team here in the NCAA tournament from the Big East. And we're running real long here. So we'll, we will wrap up shortly. Hey, you know, we got a lot to talk about. So oh, we're, yeah. filling the, we're filling the airwaves. It's You're getting content for the whole thing. So it, it might be a long episode, but it's worth listening to all the way through. Creighton. Greg McDermott getting his team through to the Sweet 16. They beat Baylor. They avenged that loss from a, a decade before. Yep. Something like that. And uh, a really good win for Creighton. Now they got uh, I got an interesting one coming up here. <laughs> Creighton has to play Princeton 9 p.m. Friday night. And I, I, this the, the Xavier time and the Creighton time for Friday night are both approximate because there are games played earlier in that venue. But we, so we should have double Big East action late night on a Friday. So keep your keep your Friday evening clear. Or if you'd like, you know what? Head down to the bar and go watch the game down there. It could be a fun little Friday night and get to watch both. That said, I think we talked about UConn returning to form. Is Creighton returning to form 
reaching their final form. I don't know the best way to describe it, but it was a team that was preseason top 10 and looked like that caliber of a team against Baylor. Ryan Nemhard had the game of a lifetime and no one talked about it. He was, you are going up against the best guard trio, in my opinion, in the country. That's Cryer, who I believe put up, uh, did Flagler, Flagler put up 30? One of those three put up 30. Nemhard also put up 30. He matched them and their defense did a really good job at forcing some bad shots. They forced some contested mid-range jumpers and they were just able to, again, pull out a win. They looked excellent. And I don't even think Baylor Shireman played as well as he is, he is capable of. They looked incredible. Ryan Nemhard had an excellent game. It was Cryer that had 30. Um, yeah, it was an incredible game. Nemhard looked like a leader. It was a real test for Nemhard going up against Traquavion Smith and Keontae George in back-to-back games. Those are two NBA players, and he was excellent. He was excellent. That was a statement by Ryan Nemhard, and not enough people are talking about how good he was. That is a statement. And that's I think that's the thing here with uh, this Creighton team is they have – a number of guys who can play at an all-American level on a good night. And that's Ryan Nemhart. Trey Alexander can do that. Ryan Kalkbrenner can do that. And Baylor Shireman and Arthur Kluma, I don't know if they have that level to their game right now, but those are the, if those are the fourth and fifth options next to the other ones. I mean, we've talked about how good this Creighton starting five is all year. We, I think our concern with them was depth and short rest. They got through this with Baylor. Now they get to rest before playing a Princeton team, which I think might be dangerous. I They looked genuinely good to me in both games that I watched them play this week. So that I think it becomes a very, very interesting battle. Excited to see what happens. I think the winner of that one is going to have a real shot at going to the final four here. I think the winner of that one, like if, if Princeton does win that, um, like watch out because that means they're just genuinely good at that point, I think but Creighton might actually just be a two or three seed wearing a six seeds clothing. I will not be able to pick Princeton to beat Alabama. I don't care. I don't know what happens. I just, I don't think I can do it. Princeton to their credit. That was a, they played excellently against Arizona. Incredibly. They did exactly what you have to do to beat a team like Arizona. You slow them down, slow the game down and you get consistent stops and you have a star in Tosana Boyum who is an absolute star, who is going to have to transfer after this year if he wants to play college basketball. That is a guy every Big East team will be after. I can guarantee you that, especially after this tournament performance. He will go wherever he wants. That is a star. Um, and I think the Arthur Kaluma versus him matchup is excellent because they they both play very similarly. I think Tosan's going to be able to post him up and to go outside. Kaluma did that in the Big East too. So it's fun matchup. I will be picking Creighton. I think Missouri wasn't prepared for the Princeton offense. I don't think they were at all. I don't. I, I think it was a bad game plan for Missouri, frankly. And I love Dennis Gates, yeah. but Creighton went against the Princeton offense when JT three was at Georgetown. They've gone against the Princeton offense before. This isn't a new thing for them. I feel like it was for Dennis Gates. They know how to go against it. It's a different version that Princeton's running than that JT three ran. But you've gone against the offense. You can teach the concepts, and you've got veterans on the team who've been through a couple seasons and they've been in big games. I yeah. think this is a game that lines up for Creighton. I think it will be competitive just because these teams are kind of on a run at this point. Like they know how to stay competitive. Like FDU, I don't think was nearly as talented as that FAU team. And they were competitive the entire way. I think it's the same, but I think Creighton will pull it out because Creighton is dudes and they, those dudes will make they're plays. Just, and they win the game. They're just good. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, I have Creighton winning this one. Um, I also want to reference our episode last Monday talking about the bracket. I had talked about not liking the Creighton Baylor matchup and after we did that, I did more research, and if anybody looks at my my bracket, which I actually have to put my update out, um, 
But I had picked Creighton all the way through to the Sweet 16, which I had said the opposite on the show. Why? It's a Baylor team with a top 10 offense and the defense outside of the top 100. And I think the last four or five years, something like that, not a single team with that profile has made the Sweet 16. As far as I'm aware, that streak is still intact, too. So Creighton, I think, got some favorable matchups. A, a high ceiling, low floor, floor three seed in Baylor. I like their matchup here against Princeton. I think we should see them in the, in the Elite Eight. Alabama, I think, is a tough matchup for Creighton. San Diego State, I think, would be a really interesting one. I have San Diego State coming out of this region. That's the only Final Four team I have left, by the way. <laughs> you got I do not buy the San Diego State team. They then again they beat Charleston. They proved me wrong there. And then I hated the Furman matchup for I wanted Furman to win so bad, but at that point it wasn't. I will say though, Miami, uh, who made the sweet 16 after beating Indiana, 11th yeah. ranked offense, 108th ranked defense. And Ken Palm at least. Okay. So okay. I think they're they're definitely an outlier to the rule. I think you were correct in pointing out that it is a rule, but I Miami, I think Miami just played an excellent game and Norchad played yeah. well, but that's Different conversation the other day. I think Alabama fairly easily beat San Diego State. I think Creighton can give Alabama challenges. I do. I think they match up well enough. I think that game will be close. In the end, I'm going to pick Alabama. But I, I can tell you for a fact, I will be really rooting for Creighton. I think Creighton's <laughs> Final Four would be fun. And yeah. I, whew, that team's good. Creighton is good. They're legit. Yeah. So here's here's my my, my question for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set two bars here. First of all, over or under uh, 0.5 Big East teams in the final four? I'm picking against all of them, so I'm going to say under just because of that. But I feel like if I did the math on it, the math would probably say, like, I think 0.6 Big East teams if I go, like, percentages and whatnot. I'm fairly – I think Xavier is the toughest road. I think Creighton – I think Creighton is a fairly decent road. I think they can beat Alabama. I, I – yeah, I'm gonna say under, but I don't I don't love it. I think that's a very good yeah. line. Yeah. And what about over under one and a half big east teams in the Elite Eight? I'm going over there. Uh I'm going over. I think Creighton wins their matchup fairly comfortably, and I think UConn wins their matchup also pretty comfortably. I'm definitely more confident in that pick of the over, and yeah, I'm sticking to it. All right, I like it. You heard it from him. I, I'm going all three. Big East teams to win in the Sweet 16, and I think we probably see one go to the Final Four. That's that's what I'm feeling right now. Yeah, Fair. yeah. No objections All right. here. Yeah, and I have I'm going to have Creighton losing this to San Diego State. I'm sticking on my bracket. I have the Aztecs in the Final Four. I I have Marquette as my champion. They didn't hold up. I had Kansas in the championship. They didn't hold up, and I believed in Indiana to get through. And uh, they Miami Miami got me on that one. So. That's how my bracket's looking. I think that's I think that's a wrap for tonight's episode, Michael. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Yeah, that was man. Ed Cooley's gonna build something at Georgia. DMV recruits. The Eddie Lampkin saga is crazy. That was that was hilarious. He, he's not going to Georgia now. That's the rumor. So it's hilarious. We'll I love it. He had to come out and say something about it. And it's this is gonna absolutely floor you. But uh, Garway Duell, who is the top recruit for Providence's class next year, who decommitted earlier today, has apparently already been contacted by Georgetown. Uh, what? Among a list no. of other teams. Yeah. Consider me so. stunned. I didn't see that one coming at all. Yeah. That's big. Yeah, crazy They're stuff. big news with the Hoyas in the next couple of days. There will be. So keep that. Uh, you know, stay on Twitter. We're going to have a ton of stuff for you. I think we're not doing another podcast until next monday i don't know we'll see what what happens you might be hearing from some of the other guys other than me in the next week or so 
But that is going to do it. It's uh, March 20th. That's Michael DeRosa. I am Matt St. G. And subscribe on YouTube. If you want to join Jerome Hunter Fan Club in the comment section and talk to us in real time, subscribe on YouTube. Come watch us there. And uh, you can you can come talk to us. We'll throw your comments on the screen. You get to react with us in real time. So come do that. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And uh, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening.